The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Greetings from my home to yours or wherever this live stream is finding you. In this season where we are unable to share space together, I'm still grateful that we get to take a moment every Sunday morning and share time together. And I look forward to the Sunday, however many weeks in the future, when we actually get to share not just time, but space together and to be in the same room with one another again. But in this meantime, I'm grateful to have you here on the live stream in this time, worshiping in spirit and in truth together. This morning, let's not have any further delay. Let's jump right into Ecclesiastes, the good news in a meaningless world. In chapter 5. If you see the extortion of the poor or the perversion of justice and fairness in the government, do not be astonished by the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are higher ones over them. The produce of the land is seized by all of them. Even the king is served by the fields. The one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. This also is futile. When someone's prosperity increases, those who consume it also increase. So what does its owner gain except that he gets to see it with his eyes? The sleep of the laborer is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the wealth of the rich will not allow him to sleep. Here's a misfortune on earth that I've seen. Wealth hoarded by its owner to his own misery. Then that wealth was lost through bad luck. Although he fathered a son, he has nothing left to give him. Just as he came forth from his mother's womb, naked will he return as he came. And he will take nothing in his hand that he may carry away from his toil. This is another misfortune. Just as he came, so will he go. What did he gain from toiling for the wind? Surely he ate in darkness every day of his life, and he suffered greatly with sickness and anger. Let's pray. Lord God, we approach your throne yet again this morning separated by space, but together in this time to worship you. We praise your holy and righteous and powerful name, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text in our hearing. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching, that you would make yourself known to us in these words as your living word, Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. This pandemic has shown us all the people that we are indebted to. There are countless people that we realize we have to thank. People who are doing their best to stem the tides of this terrible disease. And people who are just trying to keep our society running and the wheels turning. We are so, so grateful for the people on the front lines day in and day out. We are grateful for healthcare practitioners. We're grateful for doctors and nurses. We're grateful for postal workers and grocers, people working every single day. 
And we're grateful for our public servants, the good people in government who are working to try and effectively serve everyone who is deeply in need right now. In fact, the Springs itself has a whole history of wonderful public servants that have worked in government. And I think of even Mike Osborne, our state representative and friend, who serves people day in and day out. And we are so grateful for people like him working for the common good of humankind. And yet, it's our gratitude for the good people in government that compels us as Christians to speak truth to those in power who use that power for ill. It is our gratitude for the good people in government, in public service, that make us read Ecclesiastes 5 and want to amen along with Solomon when he says, If you see the extortion of the poor or the perversion of justice and fairness in the government, do not be astonished by the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are higher ones over them. The produce of the land is seized by all of them. Even the king is served by the fields. Corruption in high office has become so commonplace as to be boring for us. It happens so often that it's just a cliche for us. It's like Solomon says in verse 8, Don't be astonished, and we're not. And yet, as much as the virus right now has revealed to us good people in public service that we owe a debt of gratitude to, it has also at times revealed to us people in high office who deserve rebuke. I don't know if you saw the news reports from about a month or so ago about United States senators who, after receiving a coronavirus briefing on the real dangers to our country, instead of informing the public after that briefing, went ahead and sold off shares of stocks. Especially a United States senator who recently before that briefing had written a piece playing down the virus and the economic potential downturn after the briefing sold off millions of dollars in stocks, especially hotel shares. We look at that kind of activity. We read Ecclesiastes 5 and frankly, we're not astonished. We think that Solomon has it right. Even with insider trading in the government in the midst of a global pandemic, we're not astonished. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, I think one of the reasons we're not astonished is because we know the human heart too well. We know even the multitude of corruptions in our own human hearts too well to be astonished by others' failings. I'm not saying that you or I or any of us would have done exactly what these senators have done, but I do agree with Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he says that nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. As Solomon will say several chapters down the line in Ecclesiastes, the hearts of all people are full of evil. And One of the roots of that evil, as we know, and as the teacher in Ecclesiastes know, is oftentimes wealth. 
And we see that in the next verse in chapter 5. He says, the one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. This also is futile. Solomon knows, as well as anyone, that wealth just breeds further desire for more wealth. That is the way that wealth works on the human heart. And that's why oppression of the poor is so rampant. That's why the perversion of justice that he talked about in the first few verses there happens so often with high official and high official and even the king because they all want to be served by the land. That's the way the world works and it doesn't astonish us. A couple of examples from data. In fact, in the year 1980, the average CEO made 42 times what the average production worker made. In 1980, the average CEO made 42 times what the average production worker made. Fast forward to 1999, and that number had gone from 42 to 475 times. The average CEO in 1999 made 475 times the amount of the average production worker. And it's a stat like that that partly accounts for this next statistic. If you look at this chart, we'll see that in 1980, this is where the American economy was on the left side of this graph. And as you follow that kind of thick black line that says per capita GDP, that's the growth of the American economy over the last few decades. Those bottom two lines below that are the working class, the poor, and you'll see that the growth of their incomes has not kept pace with the American economy. However, the upper middle class has basically just kept pace with the per capita GDP. But the top two lines, you'll notice, the 1% and the 0.01%, the ultra, ultra wealthy, have astronomically outpaced the growth of the American economy. While the poor and the working class have fallen below on hard times, the ultra, ultra rich have astronomically outpaced the country as a whole. Ecclesiastes tells us this is the way the world works. Greed and power left unchecked continues to accrue and accrue and add up to injustices for the many for the poor and the oppressed. That is the way that the human heart tends and the way that it comes together in the world. And Solomon says, we're not surprised. We're not surprised because wealth continues to produce more desire for more wealth. And I think this global pandemic, even in the ways and the resources that we all have in disparity to react to it, has really highlighted the divides and inequalities and class differences between us ever so greatly. And Solomon says, if you see the extortion of the poor, if you see a high official and another high official, and then the king, even he wants to be served by the fields. This is the world. And yet it's into this world that Jesus steps. Jesus steps into this world and he proclaims the coming of the kingdom of God. 
But the kingdom of God is not like the regular kingdoms that we see in the statistics that I've said or in the history of the world or the world of Ecclesiastes. No, the kingdom of God is different. Because even though the king in Ecclesiastes 5 wants to be served by the fields, Jesus says that he comes as the king of his kingdom and he doesn't want to be served. Jesus wants to serve. Jesus doesn't come to take. Jesus comes to give. And so Jesus knows what it's like to confront the high official who's watched by a higher official. In fact, he confronts one of them in John chapter 18. It's in that chapter where Jesus has been betrayed, he's been arrested, and finally in the midst of his trials, he comes face to face with Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. And it's in John 18, in verse 35, that Pilate replies to Jesus. He says, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? In the next chapter, Pilate will tell Jesus, look, I have the power to crucify you. And it's that very power, the power to crucify, that keeps in place the power structures of every human governmental system. The systems that build up the inequality and the injustices that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 5. It's that power, that force, that violence, the power to crucify. But Jesus shows up with his kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of giving. In fact, Jesus is willing to give himself all the way to the cross that Pilate threatens. And the amazing thing about the truth of who Jesus is, because in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples not just that he has truth or that he is true, but that he is the truth. And the amazing thing about the truth of Jesus is that it is a truth that once it is attempted to be suppressed, only becomes more manifest. When Pilate tries to crucify the cruciform king, he only lends credence to who Jesus truly is. When you try to murder the guy who calls you out for being a murderer, you only lend more weight to the truth of his claim and his person. Jesus shows up willing to give himself all the way to the cross, Pilate's cross, the cross of Caesar, the cross of governments and world organizations that keep people down, that keep inequalities rampant. Jesus shows up and he gives himself all the way to that very cross. And he unveils Pilate's kingdom for what it is. A phony kingdom built on violence. Jesus unmasks it. 
And just as Pilate's last words of power fade into the distance, the word of God is just getting going. So what does Jesus' kingdom really look like in practice? Well, his kingdom of gift, his kingdom of sharing rather than taking, it looks like our reading from earlier this morning. It looks like what Sidney Dvorak read in Acts. It looks like awe coming upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. If this global pandemic has taught us anything, it's just how much we need one another. And not just how much we as Christians need one another, but how much the world needs us to show it how to live life in common. How to live life defined not by taking, but by giving. Not by being served, but by serving. This virus has taught us in a profound way that the way that I use my resources affects you. It affects your resources. The way that I use my body doesn't just belong to me. It affects your body. It affects the community. It affects our well-being. We belong to one another because we don't live according to the structures of inequality and power by force. By being served, we live according to the equality of the kingdom. We live according to the virtues that Jesus Christ instilled in us by giving himself all the way to the cross and overcoming Caesar and empire and death and sin and the devil in the resurrection. It's Jesus Christ who teaches us what government really looks like, government in the kingdom of God. May we live by the kingdom that Jesus teaches us. May we be people that have not come to be served, but come to serve and to give our lives, to carry our crosses, and to live according to the Prince of Peace who blesses the poor, the poor in spirit, and says, The kingdom belongs to you. That's Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and he is our life together as his people.